Baptize us with your spirit, Lord, your cross on us be signed, that likewise in God's service we may perfect freedom find. In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, I don't want to see a show of hands, but I do wonder how many of you over the past week have said something along the lines of, oh, you didn't have to do that. Maybe it was when someone gave you a particularly special gift. Perhaps it was when someone went out of their way to do something special for you and you said, oh, you didn't have to do that. Well, today in the church's calendar is a day that is set aside to remember something that our Lord Jesus did, which he did not have to do, something he did for us. He was baptized. Today is the first Sunday in the season of Epiphany, and every year we go out to the River Jordan and we watch as our Lord steps into that water to be baptized by his cousin John. And Jesus' baptism, it gives us a picture of what his ministry is all about. And in fact, it gives us a shape for our own lives as his followers. So we're going to look at that baptism. We're going to talk about John's baptism. We're going to talk about what it meant for Jesus. And we're going to talk about what it means for us. Let's start with a little bit of background. Uh, Let's talk about this baptism of John because it was a curious thing. You see, the Jewish people, they did have baptism, but it was a baptism for Gentiles. That is, if a Gentile, a non-Jew, wanted to become a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then something had to be done with his Gentileness. See, if, if, if a Gentile went in among the Jewish people to worship as, at the synagogue just as he was, then being ceremonially unclean, he'd make everybody in the place unclean, and that was not going to do. So what was done with these Gentiles who wanted to worship the living God? They were taken through a ritual. They were submersed in water so that they could be spiritually made clean. And the the uncleanliness of their Gentileness could be washed away. My point is this. Jewish baptism in the time of Jesus, it's not for Jews, it's for Gentiles. And that's why John's baptism is so curious. John isn't baptizing Gentiles, or at least not any that are recorded in the Gospels. No, John is baptizing his fellow Jews. John is out there in the wilderness as the last of the great Old Testament prophets calling out on God's people to repent. He's calling on them to turn back from their sinful ways, to turn back to God and to His ways. And as an outward invisible sign of this call, this returning to the Lord, John baptizes his fellow Jews. Jewish people. Now that's what John's doing. But why? Why is he bucking the norm of the day? Well, John's just fulfilling a promise that God made through not one, but two of his prophets several centuries prior. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God promised this. Listen, I will sprinkle clean water on you And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Likewise, through his prophet Zechariah, God said this as well. Listen, 
On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So you see, while, while John's baptism is a little bit strange given his current context, it's right in line with what God had promised so many years ago. So that's what John is doing through his baptism. He's calling God's people to repent of their sins and to return to the Lord. But then that only just raises another question. What in the world is Jesus doing getting that baptism? After all, as the author to the Hebrews tells us, we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. No, we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. John's baptism is a mark of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, but Jesus did not sin. Furthermore, Jesus himself said this about his relationship to the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But John's baptism is a baptism as a mark of God's people returning to the Father, having walked away from their relationship with Him. So again, what in the world is Jesus, who was without sin, who had a perfect relationship with the Father, what is Jesus doing getting the baptism of John? In fact, John is keenly aware of this dynamic uh, uh, that, that Jesus does not need his baptism. We read in Matthew's account of this very same event, how John even tried to pushed Jesus off, and John said to him, you come to me, me to be baptized? I need to be baptized by you. And it's only after a bunch of convincing by Jesus that John relents and baptizes Jesus. So why does Jesus do it? Why, why does Jesus step into that water? He didn't need to. He didn't have to do it. He had nothing of which to repent. And yet he did it anyway. My friends, he did it because we needed him to. As we sit and watch in our mind's eye, as we watch as Jesus steps into that water, it would be appropriate for us to say to Jesus, Jesus, you didn't have to do that. And Jesus would likewise respond, no, I didn't have to do it but you needed me to do it. You needed me to step down into your mess. You needed me to become a man, and I did it for you gladly. Often when this scene is depicted in stained glass, you'll see you know, Jesus there and John maybe holding a shell, and he's pouring this water over Jesus. And, and invariably, the, the water that is pictured in that stained glass is blue. It looks like Jesus and John are standing in a clear, cool mountain stream. But if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know that the water in the River Jordan is not blue. It's brown. In fact, this whole incident brings to mind something that took place several hundred years prior when a Gentile named Naaman, he was a commander in the army of Syria, he contracted leprosy. Now, he happened to have a servant girl who was Jewish, and she said, hey, you've got leprosy. We've got a prophet named Elijah. If you go find him, he'll heal you of this leprosy. 
Well, Naaman's like, I'm in. So Naaman goes off to try to find Elisha. Well, word gets to Elijah that this, this, uh, this Naaman is coming to him uh, and, and looking to be healed. And so Elisha sends word to Naaman and, and tells Naaman, look, Naaman, if you'll just go and bathe yourself in the Jordan River, you will be made clean. And Naaman responds in so many words, you want me to get in your dirty river? We got better rivers back where I came from. My point is, the river that Jesus stepped into was a muddy and messy river. It's a picture. It's a symbol of what God has done for us. Jesus didn't need to get into that river. Jesus didn't need the baptism of John, but he did it anyway because we needed him to do it. We needed God to come down and step into the mess of our sin and to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. To save us from the mess that we make by our own brokenness. So what does John's baptism mean for Jesus? My friends, it's an outward and visible sign of what our Lord's ministry is all about. It's his way of announcing to the world. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I am with you in your mess. I'm with you in the predicament of your sin. I'm with you in the midst of your foolish decisions. I'm with you in the midst of your mistakes. I'm with you in the midst of your pain. I am with you. So that's what John's baptism means for Jesus. It's his way of broadcasting to the world that God has come down to do for us what we, we didn't, he didn't have to do. To walk among us in the midst of our muck so that he might rescue us from it. Now, as for the implications of Jesus' baptism for us, the first should be, I would think, obvious. Friends, whatever you are going through right now, whatever struggles or difficulty or pain, Jesus' baptism is a reminder that God is with you. It doesn't make a difference whether your current struggles are the result of someone else's decisions or the result of your own making. God is with you. And indeed, He will use whatever mess you're in to bring about His glory. As Jesus stepped out of that muddy water, the heavens were ripped open and the glory of God the Father spoke out, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The glory of God shone forth as that muddy water was dripping off of our Lord. And friends, likewise, God can bring about His glory from whatever mess you are in. So that's the first implication of Jesus' baptism. God is with us. And friends, let that be a word of encouragement to you. But Jesus' baptism also is a challenge to us. The fact that Jesus stepped into those waters to be baptized, it has profound implications for our attitudes and our behaviors toward other persons. There's a saying that, that we'll sometimes use, maybe you've used it as well. Um, we'll say, you know, that old so-and-so, he did not suffer fools gladly. You know the saying. And I think if we're being honest, very few of us find it easy to suffer fools gladly. I'd be willing to bet that we could all bring to mind someone whom we find to be insufferable. 
And yet when we consider Jesus' baptism, there's no getting around the fact that that's precisely what he did. He suffered fools gladly. He didn't have to do it, but he did it. He stepped down into our mess. He received a baptism which he did not need because we needed him to, because we need him to. And thanks be to God, his nature is to suffer fools gladly. Fools like you and fools like me. And we don't like to think of ourselves as fools. We like to think of other people as being the foolish ones. But, but what, does, what does God's word teach us? Speaking through the Apostle Paul, God set the record straight when he said, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the wisdom of this world, it's nothing but folly to God. When Jesus stepped into the water of baptism, he was broadcasting to the world, I suffer fools gladly. And friends, if God thought that we were worth saving, if he thought that we fools were worthy of his suffering, then who are we, my friends, not to do likewise? Now, this does not mean that our Lord suffered foolishness gladly. No, he confronted foolishness throughout his ministry. And indeed, it was the foolishness of our sin which he ultimately confronted on the cross. But as for the fools of the world, fools like us, he suffered us gladly, as confounding as that might be. And what you will discover, my friends, is that when you allow God, the Holy Spirit, to give you the grace to do the same, to empower you to suffer fools gladly, God will begin a healing work in you. Now, what does this actually look like, this suffering fools gladly? What does it look like to imitate our Lord who stepped into the muddy waters of the Jordan? Well, friends, for starters, it begins with something quite small. Small but powerful. It begins with showing a little patience and kindness and grace to the persons we encounter. Lord knows we live in a world that is short on kindness, mercy, and grace. We live in a world that is defensive, that is easily offended, a world that is quick to anger and quick to assume the worst in other people. Can I hear an amen? So suffering fools gladly begins with asking God, the Holy Spirit, for the power to show patience and kindness and grace to every person we encounter. It means that when you step out into the world and you encounter persons whom you find insufferable, and you feel yourself getting impatient, and you're tempted to lash out, it means remembering your Lord's baptism, how he did for you what he did not have to do. It means remembering how he suffered you gladly and asking for the grace of his spirit to empower you to do likewise with the person who's standing right in front of you. So imitating Christ in his baptism, it begins with the little things, the little encounters we have every day with those around us. But the fact that Jesus was baptized in the muddy water of the Jordan, friends, it also means that we are to set our entire lives our resources, our vocation, our relationships, 
to set them before God and to say to him, Lord Jesus, you stepped into the mess of my life. You suffered me gladly. Now how might I do the same? How might I step into the messy lives of those around me? Friends, maybe God is calling you to step into the messy world of the mothers who show up at Low Country Pregnancy Center or the men who show up at Star Gospel Mission. If you're a student in school, maybe God is calling you to reach out to that person in your class who is struggling to fit in. Maybe Jesus is calling you to step into their messy world with the gift of kindness and grace. Friends, Jesus has stepped into our mess. He suffered us gladly. He's here with us right now in whatever we are going through. And Jesus calls upon us, his people, to imitate him and do the same. To suffer our fellow fools gladly. To ask our Lord how we might step into the messy lives of others and help them along the way. May God send us out today with the baptism of his Son firmly fixed in our minds and at work in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did for us what you didn't have to do. We thank you that you have stepped into the mess of our lives. That you did not leave us in the muck of our sin. We thank you that you have suffered us gladly. Now grant us, we pray, the power of your Holy Spirit as we go forth from this place that we might go and do likewise. That your light and your love, your kindness, your grace, your mercy might shine forth in us. For we ask these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen.